Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. Nine, 12, 10. 28-2-23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is DSR, and it's that time of the week when we look at politics in the United States, and we do so with two of our friends who we admire the most. One of them is Tara McGowan. Happy birthday, Tara. Thank you, David. I'm uh, delighted to spend a part of it with you guys. Well, we're delighted to be able to celebrate with you. And here to celebrate um, is the celebrant himself, (laughs) the man who brings a smile to everyone's face. Simon Rosenberg, how are you? It's good to be here, David. Great to see you, Tara. You sound very subdued. (laughs) They celebration. I'm just winding up. Give Uh, me a minute. Okay, okay. (laughs) Well, we'll try. We will try to wind you up. Let me let me start with this, and we'll just you know we'll bounce around on things that I'm interested in, and then things you're interested in. But we've seen a couple of poll results this week that actually look pretty good for Joe Biden. there was a national poll that looked pretty good for him, and um, uh, you know I, there was uh, you know there were there were there were a couple. Um, and as a Democrat, I just don't know how to deal with this. It makes me really uneasy. Um, how do how do how do how do we cope with the possibility that the polls may be reflecting reality, Simon? Yeah, listen, the polls are very, they're all over the place right now. They're not all pointing in the same direction. It's not a big surprise. We're many months away from the election. One party's having a primary, the other party isn't, right? It's, and uh, so it's not surprising the polls are jumping all over the place. But to your point, 
you know, we had some good polling this week. I mean, we saw the Quinnipiac poll, which was the lead on Morning Joe this week, showing Biden up six points and gaining five points since the last time they polled in December. Morning Consult, which polls every week, saw Biden jump three points. The Economist YouGov poll, which polls every week, saw him jump two points. And so that's encouraging. I mean, there's some other polls this week that were not so encouraging because polls are all over the place. But the other thing we have to recognize is that in the last few weeks, we've seen polls in New Hampshire, Michigan, and Pennsylvania that show Biden at or above his 2020 results. And so there is, you know, in all the tea leaves here and in all the data, like what happened in 2022, the data is not all pointing in the same direction. And there is a lot of encouraging recent data in the last few weeks that suggests that, you know, this could be the election that we want it to be in 2024. I think we have a lot of work to do and a long way to go, but I certainly would much rather be us than them at this point. Well, that sounds great, Tara. We could just relax and chill and you know, uh, just, uh, you know, buy confetti for the day after Election Day, right? It's all in the bag. No, we have to be careful to care about the polls too much, whether they're good or they're bad. Um, I think uh, we all know the trouble with polling. And also, uh, while I agree with all the points Simon made, it, it, it things I would much rather be us than them. Um I, I think it's important to also remember how much time we still have. It's not a lot of time in the big scheme of things in terms of the fact that we're in, in election cycle, but there is still time. It is always volatile. Um, and so I, I try not to pay too much attention when they're really good or they're really bad. Um, you just, it's going to be a roller coaster. But I don't see the Republicans or the uh, soon-to-be-declared nominee, Trump, doing themselves any favors. We don't know what the polls are going to look like after they reflect what I hope will be a Taylor Swift bump for Biden as well, which I'm sure we're going to talk about this week. Um, So I think, you know, it's good to feel momentum. Um, where there is momentum and there is. That's why I, I listen to every word Simon says and read every word he writes in his Substack um, because we need we need that hope and we need uh, that that good information that is that is accurate and true and we need to be spreading it all the time. But there are no laurels that we can rest on right now. I don't yeah. By the way, Simon's Substack is the Hopium Chronicles. I just want to say that so people can sign up and Simon, you know, can continue providing these uh, insights. Um, well, she brought it up. I didn't, Simon. I I did not bring up Taylor Swift. Um, but since she brought it up, go on, say something about Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna let Tara handle that because I feel like generationally she's a little bit closer to all that. But let me just respond to something she said about sort of baseline. Where are, where are we right now? And it, Joe Biden has been a good president. The country is better off. We've had months now of extraordinary economic news. Uh, even Jerome Powell said this week that the economy is doing great, which is the kind of thing you don't hear a Fed chair say <laughs> very often. And, you know, I think that we're going to have a very strong case for re-election this year. And then look at the dumpster fire that they are, right? I mean, just in the last few days, the RNC is now completely broke and has raised less money this in this past year than they have since 2013. State parties, Republican state parties, in all the battlegrounds are in disarray and in legal trouble with, you know, crazy leadership. We've uh, seen the Senate data come back just today um, that showing that the Senate Republicans are not raising any money in the battleground states and our candidates have huge financial advantages in all the key states. And we know that Trump 
has struggled in Iowa. They had an anemic turnout way below what they expected. There were 750,000 registered Republicans. Trump only got 56,000 votes in Iowa. And then he underperformed the public polling in New Hampshire by 10 to 15 points. Uh, Also a scary showing if you're a Republican. We've seen data now that large chunks of the Republican Party may split off and go to Biden because of Trump's legal problems or because they just find MAGA repulsive, unattractive, and too ugly for them to play ball. They have a lot of problems right now. And I think it's going to be compounded by this growing understanding and this new information that voters have about Trump that they didn't have in 2020, that he's a rapist, that he committed decades-long financial fraud, that he uh, led an insurrection, that he stole America's secrets and gave them to other people and lied to the FBI about it, that he ended Roe, and that his family's taken more money from foreign governments than any family in the history of the country. We should be able to beat this guy. We should have a good year. The stars are aligning for us. We've just got to do the work, put our head down, and get going. I agree with all that, and I want to come back to some of it, but I don't want people to be left hanging on the uh, uh, on the Tay-Tay situation, Tara. So is it? does this matter at all? Does, does, yeah, does it, it, it actually does matter. And there's a really good bridge between everything that Simon was just saying and all of the facts before us about the state of the economy and uh, the economic climate changing because of all of the extraordinary investments in bipartisan legislation that this administration passed and how um, the media is obsessing over and Donald Trump himself is obsessing over uh, Taylor Swift. And, um, you know, I think it's... it's. Uh, it was a perfect storm of sorts. She is um, the most famous musician and arguably celebrity in the world right now. Uh, she single-handedly did more for the U.S. economy in 2023 than any Republican elected to public office in Washington. Uh, that is a fact. Um, and uh, she has never uh, done anything. In fact, her her world tour that was the, the most successful and record-breaking tour ever in music history um, never once veered really political, ever. Um, she did endorse uh, Joe Biden uh, in 2020. She has not made any political statements yet. Um, she is, of course, uh, dating a very famous NFL football player who's now going to the Super Bowl. Uh, so she's in the media even more so beyond her own merits. And Uh, There was a New York Times article this past week um, teasing out that the Biden campaign was was trying to court her and court her endorsement and her engagement in the campaign. And apparently that made uh, Donald Trump uh, really, really angry. He has been suggesting that he is more popular than Taylor Swift. And I think that demonstrates his fear. Um, We know that Donald Trump is someone who is often threatened by powerful, strong women who defy kind of the conventional norms of how he sees and treats women from what we know about his record. Um, we shouldn't forget that also in the past week, um, he has been ordered by uh, a jury in court to pay out uh, $83 million um, for defamation after um, uh, being found to have sexually assaulted a woman, E. Jean Carroll. Um, so I, I, the bridge between these things is really important. We have a saying um, that we, we talk about a lot at Courier on the team that this election is going to be about vibes. Um, it's going to be about vibes. We, we just launched a podcast geared towards younger voters a few weeks ago called Vibes Only. And so uh, part of, I think, this very long-standing debate um, over, you know, Democrats' strength or weakness on messaging and, and their reliance on facts and statistics, et cetera. Um, it, it's, it's because we tend to lose the cultural 
conversation or war. The right is really good. The extreme right and right-wing media are really good about um, lifting up cultural wedges that are actually not representative of the deep concerns of Americans or the policies that need to be passed. Um, and yet they matter because a lot of people are not tuning in all the time. And so the fact that right now we are uh, Democrats are winning both the policy and the factual argument about progress in this country and who stands for uh, people and building a more equitable economy and society and the culture war in terms of what is popular um, with the mass public, uh, it, it's it's a really good spot to be in. Um, and you can feel uh, Trump and the Republican Party in a defensive posture. And um, the last thing I'll say, because I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more, is that you're even seeing infighting more on the surface than usual on the right over the border deal that they demanded in order to get Ukraine aid. And yet... Um, they are now uh, pulling back on a bipartisan deal that has been made um, at the Senate level simply because Trump does not want a deal done because he wants to weaponize that issue for his own political purposes in the election. So um, I really do think that the culture and the vibes and the Taylor Swift story do matter and seeing how the right is freaking out about it. Um, we should take a little bit of uh, you know, uh, amusement in that, if you will, but of course, um, not think that that's going to necessarily translate into votes. But it, they're good; they're good signs. Yeah. Well, you know, there was an old saying once, which was, you know, never take somebody on who buys their ink by the barrelful. Um, and I think there is probably some social media corollary uh, when you're talking about somebody who has 293 million Twitter followers. Um, and, uh, you know, that does make a difference. Um, and in that, her particular case, they're an extremely loyal group of Twitter followers. Um, and they do tie into this youth vote. Um, there has been some of the polling recently has shown Biden really opening fairly substantial leads, both among younger voters, Simon, and among older voters. Um, uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, I, I think extremely encouraging. And again, the leads are double digit leads in both cases. It's not, it's not up by 1% down by 2% kind of stuff we're used to. What do you read into that? Yeah, look, we have a lot of work to do with young people, but we also have incredible opportunity. I mean, the, you know, we, if we can get we can maintain or even improve upon Biden's share of the youth vote in 2020 and then increase turnout, we're going to have a really good election. I don't think there's a lot of data now. I know that there's a lot of discussion around the Israel-Hamas war and whether it's affecting Biden's standing. The data on that is not conclusive that there's really been any kind of substantial hit. And I just, you know, if you look at the Economist YouGov poll this week, they asked the most important issue of 18 to 29-year-olds, and on the question of foreign policy, the number the number of people who chose that as their a top issue was zero, right? And so I think that with young people, just like with most people, they're going to be voting on, you know, things that are more material in their lives, like the economy and healthcare and gun safety and abortion and all the things that are really rattling around a young person's mind. I think by the time the election comes, this issue around Israel, Hamas will be distant. It won't be unimportant, but it'll be, I think it will become secondary to, to other matters. And so I do think that we have enormous opportunity with young people. I've been spending time with the youth part of the Biden campaign. They've hired some really good initial people. Eve Levinson is the, is the lead right now. She's very talented and capable. 
And I'm optimistic that the campaign understands strategically what they have to do. Now we have to help them execute. And all of us have a, a role to play in all that. And on the issue of older voters, I mean, I'm a little skeptical of the, that data. I think we'll, you know, our margins come from young people. The way that Democrats have to approach elections is to minimize our losses with older people, maximize our opportunities with younger people. I think the camp, I think Biden is very well equipped to do that. I think it's one of the reasons he's been a successful candidate is that older people can connect with him and, and understand him. And now we have to be able to do both, right? And I think we can. So I'm, so I'm very sanguine and optimistic right now about everything I'm seeing. I think that, you know, we keep winning, they keep struggling. It's the basic dynamic in the election. And there's nothing that we've seen in early 2024 that indicates that we're going to sort of veer sharply from where things have been over the last couple of years. Well, sticking to the uh, advice to ignore polls, I'll still continue harping for one more <laughs> second here, um, uh, just because they provide a hook for the conversation. Because one of the sets of polls that came out this week that was a little more concerning um, uh, was a set of polls about battleground states. Um, and candidly, you know, that worries me a little bit. We've seen the margins in battleground states be quite narrow. Simon has brought up the Middle East issue. Uh, in a state like Michigan, uh, with a large uh, Arab-American population, um, uh, it's a very volatile issue, and that has shown up on trips to Michigan. Um, uh, some of the other battleground states, like Georgia, have election laws that are looking a little bit weird. You know, they they don't fill me with a great deal of of confidence. And I just don't see, and maybe you see it, but I just don't see senior level people from the Biden administration hitting all of the battleground states all the time with a clear message, uh, which is kind of what I'd like to see. He goes there a little bit or, you know, uh, uh, you know, every once in a while there's something, but I just don't see it. Now, is it just too early for that, Tara? Um, or would you like to see more of it? Uh I actually, um, I disagree a little bit. I think I have seen them, um, show up a lot more. I mean, we have newsrooms in, in almost every battleground state in the country at Courier. So we are covering, um, these events. They might not be making national news as much, but they're certainly making news on our newsroom, uh, socials and sites. And, um, the vice president has been showing up on her reproductive, um, freedom tour that she has been going on. Um, that has generated a great deal of attention and engagement, especially among young people um, and women. And uh, our uh, reporter in, I, bel- I, don't, I don't even want to screw up my state. We have so many. Um, but, uh, oh, in New Hampshire, one of our newest, Granite Post, just interviewed Secretary Buttigieg on infrastructure projects um, right around the New Hampshire primaries. Um, they're definitely getting out there. And I think what they're doing, which is smart because we've been engaged in this way, is that they're really prioritizing local coverage and local engagement of groups and stakeholders and um, youth organizations on the ground. And so they are actually starting to apply, and this heartens me, and I know it heartens Simon in a big way, um, a, a non-traditional communication strategy that really much more meets the moment in terms of how do they reach niche audiences and communities that they really need to. I think they're going to continue to ramp it up. I think they are learning who their best surrogates are to be deploying um, to these places. I, I 
I think that they're doing it in a really smart way. They're meeting, they're matching issues that are relevant to people to specific groups and tailoring events around that as opposed to really big rallies or, or press events um, that, that feed a more traditional press that frankly just isn't reaching that many people, um, especially in the battleground states these days. So I, I think that um, they have picked it up and that they're going to continue to do so. David, if I can, um, can I just jump in there on this? Is that yeah, just once, yeah. but one second, because I'd like to, I'd like you to jump in there. But Tara, I'm sure a lot of our people who are listening to this just went, well, how do I read these career newsroom things? Where, how, where do I find all that? So, can you just let them know how to do that? Yeah, sure. So you can go to couriernewsroom.com. Um, on the homepage, if you scroll down um, below the, the fold of national stories um, that we have, you'll see the map of all of our states that we have newsrooms in. Um, and then you can you can go to each of them. You can sign up for newsletters. The best way to get that news is the newsletters for each state or going to their, their social because that's how we reach people. So Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. We have uh, some of the largest TikTok audiences in all of the battleground states now. It's been um, uh, skyrocketing. Uh, in terms of organic engagement by young people. Um, again, so couriernewsroom.com. Great. Simon? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I'm heartened by is that during the Obama years, we did a lot of research showing, we asked questions of voters, of what would you need to see to believe that a recovery was happening? Remember, the Great Recession was far more severe, you know, it was very severe. And there was a whole question about how could Obama get credit for the economic recovery. And in the research we did, what we found was who would be the most trusted messenger? How would you believe in your community that a recovery was happening? And what we found was that it was usually local business people who had increased their you know, company by five employees, 10 employees, right? That that was the most convincing thing. And if you look at what Biden's been doing, he's been going to places like coffee shops that have doubled or tripled the number of employees they've had. They're they're going right into the place that is the most compelling and convincing for people in their own communities about the sense of, of being able to be convinced that things are better, right? Which is so central to his reelection narrative. They know what they're doing here. And and I, you know, some of this stuff isn't as sexy as as what Trump does. But it works and it may, and it's, you know, this is what Biden's doing. You know, I agree with Tara. I mean, I, I think what they're doing and their focus on the seven states, because North Carolina, I think we can win North Carolina. I'm very involved in raising money and trying to help in North Carolina because that's our most important expansion state in 2024. I think we're off to a good start, David. I think these guys know what they're doing. They've done it before. They, many of them went through the Obama, uh, as Tara did, reelection in 2012 and knows what it took to make the case, the economic case, to make it not to Tara's point, you know, charts and graphs and data, but to make it real and concrete in people's lives. And the good thing is we've got a lot to sell. Can I just add one anecdote? Because I forgot this to the original question, but in North Carolina, um, President Biden was just there last week and had um, a meal at a family's home where the father had benefited from the student debt relief um, uh, that the administration had brought. And uh, the content that got out was not the local press clips, um, but it was the TikTok that one of the man's sons posted about the day that the president came to eat a meal with them. And you never hear President Biden speak, but it went viral from this kid's personal TikTok account. And that made a ton of earned news and media. And so that is a perfect example of a really effective press strategy for today's media environment that 
had an organic feel about it, which is why that video went viral because the campaign didn't produce it. They didn't ask the kid to do it. The kid just posted it on his own because he's like, oh my God, the president's at my house. And it's that those are the moments that have to kind of carry this campaign forward and reach the communities that you can no longer reach by having a really strong, sophisticated press corps. Well, those those moments are also kind of the answer to the question that I get most often. Uh, And they circle back to practically every conversation that the three of us have had. Because, Simon, the the question I get is, what can I do? Um, I'm worried. I'm worried about the outcome. uh, I, but I don't have a lot of money, so what can I do? Or I don't have a lot of time, so what can I do? Or I don't know a lot of big shots, or what can I do? Or I can't run for office, what can I do? Uh, and I think contained within Tara's answer there is is the answer to this bigger question. But Simon, maybe you want to... Yeah, I mean, at, at Hopium, we describe it as let's do more and worry less, right? I mean, that's the, the frame that we have. And in, so you're not counting on having much of a Jewish audience? <laughs> it's actually very much directed towards a Jewish audience. <laughs> I think. I think. It's not working on me. Go ahead. Go ahead. But um, so do more, worry less. And what, what do is, and what, you know, what I, first of all, the number one do thing right now is helping Tom Swazi win in New York 3, either by donating or volunteering. That election is February 13th. Early voting starts on Saturday. You know, we're here. The election's here. We need help. How's it look? It looks really good. I mean, the early polling is, he's up in the early polling. His his opponent, not surprisingly, in a very MAGA kind of way, is not showing up for debates and making incredible mistakes in the stump. I mean, we should be able to win here. But Republicans are spending an enormous amount of money in this race. They know how symbolic this would be if Democrats flip a House race. And they're fighting. They have a crappy candidate, but they got a lot of money. And so we just have to do the work and we should be able to win. The second thing that I just encourage everybody to do is to give 25 bucks, 15 bucks to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and just start getting involved in the campaign. Get the email, start thinking about how you're going to contribute. There will be opportunities to do, if you're not living in one of the battlegrounds, to do remote work in those states for the Biden campaign. And that would be another way you can get involved. Third, for me, is if you have a little bit of money or time, of the seven big battleground states, the one that we haven't been winning recently, we need to win. We need to flip it as North Carolina. You know, we have a dynamic new party chair there, Anderson Clayton. I just did an event with her in D.C. this week. Uh, she's amazing. And I've raised a ton of money and directed a lot of volunteers there. And I encourage everyone to take a serious look at helping this dynamic new leader of the party take a state that we need to win and flip it blue. And then there's going to be House and Senate races. But the most important thing you can do just is to make sure that in your own states, in your own communities, if there are Democrats you can help in any way through volunteering, do that. And then finally, David, the thing that we've talked about a lot here is becoming an information warrior for Joe Biden and the Democrats. If we can get a million, two million people, you know, to be spreading good news and information through their networks, 10 people at a time, you can reach 10, 20, 30 million people we have much more agency and power, in my view, than we understand in terms of countering the right-wing noise machine and taking back control of our daily discourse. we just got to have more courage and bravery, I think, to be able to take some of the stuff that we get every day and share it strategically through our networks to be aggressive without being annoying, right, as I always say. And I think that, you know, it's part of what Tara's doing. It's part of what you're doing here at Deep State Radio. 
we've got to do the work ourselves. We can't count on the media or the, and we shouldn't wait for the campaign. Let's do it ourselves. It's like building a little victory garden in World War II. It's an information to become an information warrior. I will tell you, I've been working with people. I'll wrap it up here, but I've been working with people a lot on this concept over the last year, and it works. People do, you know, engage with their networks. They do convince people and turn them around. This does work. We need to do more of it. Yeah, you know, Tara, I had somebody come to me this week with the same kind of question, and and they said, well, I'm not really active on social media. And I was like, well, get active on social media. It's not that hard. You know, pick one, depending on your age and your inclinations and so forth. It can be TikTok, or it can be Threads, or it can be Blue Sky, or it can be um, Spoutable, or it can be uh, uh, YouTube, or it can be Facebook. Or I mean, there's... There's a lot of channels out there, but, you know, Simon's math works pretty easily. I mean, even with our podcast, I mean, we're small compared to your audience, but if we have 25,000 people listening at a time and they each reach out and and just touch five people or 10 people, um, you know, and then those people do the same thing and those people do the same thing, you're up at 10 million people pretty quickly. It's just three or four clicks down the road in that kind of information chain. And there's, so there's a huge multiplier effect. Um, that, I know that's partially behind your strategy. Maybe you could talk about it a little more. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm the biggest proponent for everyone being on social and sharing social. And um, we we work really hard at Courier, both for our national accounts, which is Courier Newsroom, at Instagram and Twitter, um, to make really shareable content that just gets the message across in a way that is conversational and relevant and sticky. So it's very easy for people to just hit share or repost on their stories. But also, I, I don't want to understate the importance of just taking these stories that you hear if you're listening listening to a podcast like this about that video that went viral that maybe you didn't see on TikTok about the president's visit to North Carolina or or how good the economy is looking or what have you and share them verbally at you know at the at your kids sports game in the conversation like politics is inevitably going to start coming up more um, as we get closer to the election and so it's also important that people just bring these stories and anecdotes and different perspectives um, into their real life conversations and relationships and that can have that same ripple effect. I really think it matters. And then just a point that I think we we all talk around because it's obvious because we are on uh, new media that that David, you have created and Simon has created with his Substack and I have created with Courier is, is to turn off cable news to the degree that you can. Um, to, and to Simon's point about worry less, do more. Um, there is so much good new media out there and discourse for folks that are interested and engaged and concerned that is really um, about paying good information forward in the interest of getting more folks informed and involved and engaged in this critical election. And so, um, you know, all of the media that we all produce here is a start, but I also want to plug a few others. There's an incredible Gen Z journalist focused on Gen Z's role in this election, Rachel Janfaza. She has a substack called The Up and Up. She's covering all the great youth efforts Simon mentioned earlier. Um, and she's writing for everything from Politico to Vanity Fair 
she's interviewed the vice president. She has such an interesting look at the role Gen Z is going to play that I have not seen in traditional or mainstream media. Um, and also Dan Pfeiffer, a good friend of mine, his Substack, the message box, I think provides really accessible talking points and message guidance for people who are not from politics um, or from media. like Or who Leo. don't know that he was comms director in the Obama White House, right? So he, he was, yes. And he also wrote the book about right-wing media and the need to build um, pro-democracy media like Crooked, where he works, and, and Career and, and everything that we're all doing. So I just really urge people, um, uh, cable news and mainstream media are designed very intentionally around stoking those emotions and that anxiety and fear the same way polls are. And so um, there there's a lot of alternative media that is really solid and really doing the storytelling that we need to spread. Yeah, there's there's no question about it, and it grows. You know, I mean, I speak from some personal experience that we, you know, we started a little company. We started seven years ago. We're now well over a million downloads a month to our programming. We just launched this week a new uh, daily program with the New Republic, hosted by Greg Sargent, who's a well-respected uh, reporter, which is doing extremely well and is a is a reported piece. Uh, we're doing a lot of crossover activity with those organizations, but we reach out. You know, there are a lot of podcasts out there. There are a lot of people. Um, and you very quickly see that that's where the action is. You know, this week we saw, uh, you know, an old school approach to media. Let's create a general interest media organization called The Messenger, uh, which got $50 million put into it a year ago, uh, shut down because it didn't realize that we've moved to this um, person to person, specialized, speak to people's local interests or their special interests, um, uh, sort of new media economy. They missed the boat. But there are a lot of these people like those that Tara's mentioned, uh, who, who get it. And you can very quickly build up a lot of, a lot of impact. I mean, Simon, you, you know, you started doing your Substack a few months ago and now you've got this. This, this this big impact off the back of it. One of the things that people don't seem to get uh, or they don't, you know, sort of in, in initially understand, it may not be in some people's nature, is that all of that media is driven by virality. It's driven by finding something that triggers the other person to share it or to add to it. It's got to have something that resonates um, and it's not hard to find those things. Just find what resonates with you, and it'll then amplify out. Um, uh, but, you know, I think as you build this army, as we collectively work on building this army, uh, a little bit of training on how you, how you reach virality and how you find your audience and how you find your authentic voice uh, could be helpful. I don't, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Simon. Well, I will say that I think in my journey in the last couple of years, uh, which began with the red wave, the thing that I come back to is just how many people today are spending some amount of time every week fighting for their democracy and to make sure that democracy and freedom doesn't go away on their watch. I mean, I, I feel like, I, you know, when I dive into this new democratic grassroots, I'm connecting with people who are operating out of love of country and deep patriotism and an incredible hunger and desire to make a difference and to make sure that they can counter what's happening and coming from the other side. 
Um, and it's been very affirming. I mean, of all the things I've done in my career, and I've had a long career, and I've done some wonderful things. Being so- well, you're very old. You're, you're very. <laughs> I'm, old, I'm so. formerly young, like you, David. And T- Tara will no, be there okay. someday, but I think she's still young. I might be able to say that today too. I, I, I just got to use. I know. Right? I think you, um, is that I think that we have to recognize that what we're part of here, and Heather Cox Richardson called it a, an awakening. There is an awakening happening in America, and I think that when we get to the other side of Trumpism and MAGA, which I hope we'll, we will play a major role this year in getting to 55% and beating them badly so that it's a clear repudiation of MAGA in this election, I think there's going to be millions and millions of Americans who have become more connected to their democracy, have taken a step, a postcard, a call, a tweet, right, uh, a TikTok video, whatever steps they've taken where they've taken actions more than voting on behalf of their democracy, making them bigger citizens, making them more powerful advocates of democracy itself. And the way I like to think about this is that it's sort of a virtuous cycle of participation, that people taking action and other people seeing taking action causes them to do it, as you pointed out, and it builds into this positive virtuous cycle that ends up us having very large early vote and us winning elections. And so I, I think that in the midst of all the gloom and doom and the fear of danger of Trump, of which there's many reasons to be scared about what would happen if he became president or even what he's doing now to try to delay Ukraine and Israel funding and all the things that he's doing inside of Congress, at the core of what's happening now is that the American people are fighting really hard to make sure that the future is there for their kids and their grandkids the way it was for all of us. And I think we're winning. And it's really important to recognize that it doesn't feel that way every day, right? When you're in a ongoing conflict, you're not winning every day, but we're winning overall, right? We had a great election in 2018, 2020. We did something miraculous in 2022 and 2023 when parties in power always lose seats. We actually gained seats, right? Defied history. We're doing really well, everybody, but we've, you know, the big one is in front of us. And we've got to saddle up and do everything we can to make sure that we win in November. Yeah, well, you know, I think one thing to keep in mind here is that we're kind of pregnant with this election. It's February 1st, and we're recording this. Uh, We've got about nine months to go. Uh, And as anybody who uh, has ever been a mother or a father or a baby knows, um, uh, that's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You've got to do something every single day, and and you've got to you know find something new every day. The the thing that makes this challenging but also interesting is the story changes every week. You know, a month ago there were all sorts of people that we know and respect who are kind of you know well known commentators, and they were going, "Oh, Bidenomics, that's a failure." And now a month later, everybody's going, oh, actually, the economy is in good shape and people are starting to get that. And actually, the economy is the strongest economy in the whole world. Um, maybe it's going to be something else. And and it is something else every day. Simon says, you know, right now, the Middle East seems like a big deal. In a month, it may not even, you know, I'm not minimizing what happened there, but I'm just saying you have to sort of keep on top of it. One of the things that is in the back of my mind, and you can just sort of play therapist here, is I, I still think there's a, a capability that Trump will just melt down altogether. 
Um, and you could end up with a different candidate or a different message from the Republican Party. They do seem to be in disarray. Um, I don't know if you ever entertain those thoughts, Tara, but but I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, are we too Trump-centric in our focus? I don't think we are, unfortunately. Um, I, I do think that, um, I think Trump melted down this week over Taylor Swift. Trump will melt down over and over again. We've seen Trump melt down. I, I do think the meltdowns are getting even less hinged, more unhinged um, than we've seen. Um, and that's important for the American people to see. Um, but I really don't believe that the Republican Party or establishment or the rhinos or whatever you want to call any other faction that isn't um, led by Trump or MAGA, they don't have a plan and they don't seem to have a clue of how to engage um, their base or even leadership or stakeholders uh, in a way to be able to derail Trump and um, the his base and the loyalty of his base and his momentum, even with 91 uh, counts against him and um, about to be, you know, $83 million more in debt, losing um, uh, court hearings, losing um, a lot of things. He, he, he didn't get great turnout so far in the primary votes that have been cast, but he is going to be the nominee. Um, you know, barring some unforeseen uh, situation or event. But I, I I don't think that it's wrong for us to stay focused on him. I think he will be the nominee. And I think this will be a contest and is a contest between President Biden and, and Donald Trump. What do you think, Sam? I agree. I think that, you know, I think the thing that many of us, I think, reflect on is the shocking cowardice of Republicans in the face of the threat that Trump represents to the United States. I mean, we're seeing levels of betrayal of our country and cowardice that are terrifying in some ways and disappointing and whatever words you want to use. I mean, Trump Trump has serially betrayed the country. The Republicans, in my view, the delay of Ukraine and Israel funding is the single most reckless act by Congress since World War II, putting us in danger. I mean, just even this week, what was amazing to me was listen to the Republicans after holding up funding for Ukraine and Israel, which would have countered both Russia and Iran, and then disrupted the day-to-day operations of the Pentagon for almost a year and held back dozens and dozens of appointments of senior State Department officials and ambassadors, including many ambassadors in the region and the Middle East itself. When all of that degradation and holding back and sending signals to the rest of the world that America is in disarray and that we're weak. When an attack comes on our troops, they blame Biden. You know, I mean, it was just shocking when obviously what the Republicans are doing is emboldening our adversaries and making us far less safe. And just the, the just the sheer, uh, I don't even know what the right word is anymore to describe the lunacy and and the and of what's happened and the madness that's taken over the Republicans or what's happening on the border. Right? We're they're screaming about the border and then. They're claiming Biden's not following the law. And when Biden tries to follow the law, they actually prevent him from following the law, right? I mean, it's just, there's, and I wrote a piece this week on my Substack about just how much they are now retreating into this place that Greg Sargent, your colleague, calls Foxlandia, which is this imaginary place that is completely disconnected from reality. And the problem is they're going deeper, deeper there. They're going deeper and deeper into that place. Trump's own madness. I've watched a lot of clips of Trump. I had to for some, a project that I was working on. He's gone. Like he's not connected and tethered to the, to the modern, you know, the real world anymore. And so I do think, David, I, 
what is important for us and the reason why this kind of work we're doing here and the work that Tara is doing and the work that I try to do at Hopium to keep us tethered to facts and objective reality is so important because one of our two political parties has become completely untethered and is living in an alternative world. And the more that the rest of the world slips away from them, the more angry and willingness to do illiberal things that they get. And that's why I think the fact that we're already seeing Trump intervene so aggressively in the day-to-day work of Congress, this is going to be an incredible year ahead of us, right? I mean, he wants to tear things down. He wants to prevent things from happening. He's a destructive, you know, diseased man right now. And we're, Joe Biden's going to have to figure out how not just to run the election, but to really govern in a time when Trump's trying to light it all on fire and, and, and to overcome that. I think if we do, it's going to be part of how we crush him in this election because where they've ended up on the border or where they've ended up on Ukraine and Iran, it's a crazy place. They're in a crazy place and we can't give them authority and power over something that they don't really have. And we have to keep reminding our, our listeners and our voters and our colleagues and our friends of just how far gone they really are and how strong and successful we've been. That's the key to me. Well, on that point, you know, one of their favorite pinup autocrats, Victor Orban, <laughs> uh, yesterday voted uh, to uh, provide funding for Ukraine with 26 other European countries. Yep. So, you know, the, the, our Republican Party in the United States, which once stood for national security, is lagging him <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, where, where, the, where they come out on this issue. And facts are an important tool. I have, I have a piece today in Haaretz because a bunch of people yesterday started saying on social media, oh, this, this Middle East thing would be much better if Trump were president. Well, that's not true. And there are dozens of facts that support that. And I just thought, you know, that's what we've got to do is each time this comes up, you've got to go out, you've got to lay them out, you know, link, put them there, put in video, let people see it for themselves, because, you know, ultimately that does does have an effect. Uh, we're going to try and have these conversations at least once a month as we go through the year and more if we need to. But Tara, we've got a month ahead of us. It's February. Is this the month that Trump sews up the nomination? Is this a month that has any other significance that people need to keep in mind? I think this is the month that Trump sews up the nomination. I think he he practically has. I think it'll be uh, official soon enough. And I, I, you know, I think you you made the point earlier. This is a marathon. People have to stay engaged. Um, all of these stories really matter, though. I do want to underscore um, that. The Ukraine aid and border crisis. Um, President Biden wants a, a deal on the border crisis. Democrats have admitted that this is a problem that needs solving. Even the Republicans were one that forced the hand related to the Ukraine aid. And, and now McCain is out there saying publicly that, that this is not okay. They, they went into good faith negotiations and now they can't see them through because of Trump and the power he holds. They're admitting their cowardice. And that is creating instability um, that is going to impact us. And we are going to be in a much more fragile state, as is the rest of the world and our relationship with it, if we don't move that aid and if things don't get done. And I do think people, if they hear this, if they understand what's happening, um, that will be 
concerning to more people. And I think that these things can get lost in the nuance and the details and um, things of that nature because the way that the cycle, the news cycle moves. But that is really important that they are actively actually now um, showing their hypocrisy um, to have a political war over issues that they're the ones who 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 claim to care about that are affecting real people's lives. So I think people just need to stay in touch with reality to Simon's point. I think that's a really good one. Um, but also, you know, get those alternative sources so they can be able to share good content um, that, you know, isn't both sides in these issues or, or watering them down, um, make people really, really understand what's going on and engage. And yeah, we have to do it every day. We just do. Um, it's, we don't want to regret it. The border is a great issue on this. The Republicans said it was urgent until they said they didn't need it for a year. The Republicans <laughs> said, you know, this was the most important issue that there was until a solution was presented, the toughest um, uh, immigration reform that's taken place in this century. And then they said, uh, no, we don't want that. And then they came out and they said, uh, you know, Trump himself, you know, said, uh, we don't want to give them this win on this thing. They revealed their hypocrisy. This doesn't, you don't have to be an insider to see how um, uh, shallow their arguments are, um, how cynical they are, um, and and they're easily defeated. Just go out there and, and defeat them. Well, the look, Republican it, Party is the do nothing party. The evidence just keeps piling up. They are not doing anything for the American people. Yep. Simon, did you want to add one last word here? No, I, just, I think that, yeah, I mean, Mayorkas is getting the central reason they're impeaching Mayorkas is because he didn't follow the law in their mind, right? It's a completely ridiculous argument, but that's the, the central thing. And think about what's happening with Texas right now. Texas is actually preventing Ali Mayorkas from enforcing federal immigration law, <laughs> which is the thing they're impeaching him for, right? That they say he's not doing, right? Because they're not letting him do it. And so it's just the, the level of cray cray here and the level of, you know, when you really drill down on it about how extreme they've really become and how disconnected and untethered, you know, they've become and how their agenda, if you really think, if I can just do this quickly, if you really think about their core agenda that they're bringing to the American people, what do they want? They want Putin to win and the West to fail. They want the economy to crash. They want the border to stay open. They want 10-year-old girls to have their rapist babies. They want the planet to warm faster. They want, you know, 16-year-old kids in high school to work in meatpacking plants at night and not go to school. They want, you know, make your, they want the deficit to go up. Make your own list more dead kids in schools, right? I mean, we can make this long list. It's unbelievable when you actually boil it down to what they're actually saying they're going to do, including ending our democracy for all time. And it's why we're here, right? It's why people are listening. It's why people are doing the work because we understand the gravity of the moment and how we, you know, our Democrats have been called before to save freedom and democracy here and around the world. And we are being called again, right? That's what our party's modern the modern founding of the Democratic Party, FDR, for freedom speech. I mean, we are the party of freedom. We're the protectors of freedom here and all around the world. We've got a big election, a big year ahead of us. I'm very confident that we're going to prevail on the other side if we do the work together. Yeah, no question about that. There are, by the way, 60 other elections going on in the world this year, more elections than have ever taken place. Uh, and we have always been seen as the beacon. Uh, and uh, we have to make sure that when this year comes to a close, that's still how we're seen. 
that's in the hands not of Joe Biden or his campaign committee. It's in the hands of each of you listening. Uh, but fortunately, it's also in the hands of people like Simon and Tara, to whom we turn and, and look to for leadership. So thank you, Simon. Thank you, Tara. Happy birthday, Tara. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back again soon uh, for this conversation, which will uh, not end. Bye-bye.